Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we have Raf Kaluru joining us from Next Contracts. Next Contracts helps contractors find their next opportunity. Thanks for joining us, Raf. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Now, Raf, let's dive in a little bit about your journey. Obviously, a founder of Next Contracts, but that's not where it all started. So, tell us a bit about your history and background. Okay, so I, I mean, I've obviously built to Australia from another country. I originally came from uh, India, so yes. I do have Indian heritage. So I, uh, I moved to Australia as a student, and I was about 19 years old when I came here, yeah. and that was about 22, 21 years ago. So I came here predominantly to, you know, to go through university and head back home again okay. in a couple of years' time. So that was my kind of intent when I first came here. But obviously, you know, once you come to Melbourne and you start uh, understanding what Melbourne is about, you start knowing what, you know, the people, you know, you fall in love with this, with this city very quickly. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. I think yeah. being born here, we're very like, I'm very lucky. I don't even know how good it is sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I made a decision to uh, hang on and just stay here. And uh, I now call Melbourne home. So I have, uh, you know, I've, I've met my wife here, I've got my children here. So it's essentially, this has become my home now. So that was about 20 years ago when I came here. You know, I, I finished my education, I went to a few different universities. And then I got into a corporate gig with a large, uh, one of the large organizations. I was doing really well with the pretty, you know, it was a junior role, but, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. And that was my first entry into, into a large corporate. And uh, that was in the early part of 2000s when I started. Yes. Uh, I started working for uh, this particular company. I, I worked there about three years and I got introduced to professional contracting by chance through a colleague of mine. Okay. Okay. And uh, I, I was very nervous uh, to, you know, uh, obviously I had a permanent job and, you know, I, at the same time I was having a young family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very nervous to jump into professional contracting because, uh, you know, you start looking at things differently when you mm-hmm. start getting into professional contracting. But regardless, it was a, a, it's a quite a re- rewarding opportunity to be a professional contractor in technology space. Yes. So I thought, you know what, there's nothing, you know, nothing is lost. If I, if I don't fare well, then I always had an opportunity to go and search for something more permanent and, mm-hmm. uh, and go down that path. I, I was willing to take that risk. So that's how I ended up being a professional contractor myself. Oh, so you started doing this 17 years ago, basically. That's or right, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. wow. So it's yeah. been a long yeah. while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not very good. What sort of, um, over the time, what sort of roles mm-hmm. have you had during that process of professional contracting? I've had a variety of roles, uh, and that is probably, that's probably one of the perks of professional contracting. Mm-hmm. I've had a variety of roles in a number of different organizations and yes. uh, had an opportunity to experience and be exposed to different things that were happening across different organizations in various industries. So I've held uh, roles from, you know, being a business analyst and analyzing yes. the businesses for various organizations, translating that into, uh, into developing them as requirements, you know, uh, helping the businesses to, uh, to validate and assure their products before they go into, into uh, production, mm-hmm. help the businesses to, to, to accept change. So I've trained a number of business, use, yeah, business users. How do you find accepting change in, in a corporate environment? <laughs> well, it's an interesting one. 
except accepting change i think is uh, it's a lot of hard work it is mm. it is a journey and um, you know if uh, i think some organizations you know make a mistake that uh, if you introduce something that's cool and easy to use people will start using it uh, mm-hmm. but that's not generally the case and uh, you know as the change management as a profession as it uh, started to grow in Australia, I think people are now recognizing the value and understanding the importance of change management and helping the people through the journey. And yes. now you see more and more organizations investing in that sort of capability. So regardless of you know the products they, they introduce, be it tech or non-tech, they understand mm-hmm. that there is a, uh, there is a way uh, as to how these products can be introduced and, and be accepted by the people who, who eventually will have to use it. Have you seen that go hand in hand with a sort of a more of a focus on having the right culture, not just the culture you have? True. It, 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 some organizations accept change better than the other organizations. Yep. And you can, if you die, I mean, from my experience, if you dive deep enough, I think you'll see, you know, the, the organizations that have been around for a very long periods of time do struggle to accept change because mm-hmm. the ways of working that they have and are, are accepted by themselves in the organization have been around for a long period of time. And when we try to do things differently or when we try to challenge what has been socially accepted within that organization for a long time, it doesn't really sit well with a number of uh, the people who will have to adopt new ways of doing things. And hence, yeah, we run into resistance. But there are some organizations which I've definitely observed have done it well, have been supportive, encouraging, and always showing people, you know, the, the potential users as to why they should uh, do things differently or why they should use this new platform. You know, that is a journey in itself. I don't think it should be underestimated for any large organization. They should think about change management in at least six to 12 month increments, especially if they're introducing new technology products. Yeah, it becomes difficult for them to pivot when they're set up and have structures for an existing model. Absolutely right. Uh, You're absolutely right. Uh, I think that most of the processes, the operating models that are established in the organizations are based on the time, at a point in time, when technology and other related processes were, I suppose, agreed at that point in time. And as those things evolve, the evolution should consider not just you know not not just the technology evolution but i think the evolution needs to consider more of the entire ecosystem in terms of how their uh, models should change how their processes should change and how their people will be supported to be successful in what they do so uh, and that's what we're experiencing now these days in in most of the transformations where you know it's not just a technology transformation a transformation by definition is a transformation of you know the whole organization in my opinion yeah it comes from the top down doesn't it so it can't just be a one man doing it in their corner or in a little division i think it's a top-down approach mm-hmm. and then from a transformational perspective especially so it is uh challenging at a corporate level but when you get to a, a startup level which is where you, you've gone to it becomes a little bit easier to pivot and change doesn't it absolutely i think so i think uh, you know that's where i was going i mean i think yeah. the, the newer organizations are yes. necessarily more willing and mm-hmm. uh, more willing to change and more willing to take risks more willing to uh-huh. try different things because you know they've said they've got nothing to lose and if it doesn't work they will readapt and do things differently and that's how 
I came up with Next Contract as well. It's not like there aren't established platforms in Australia, yes. but I uh, wanted to do things differently. And that's how, uh, yeah. you know, I ended up uh, with Next Contract or starting up Next Contract. Yes, yeah, so what I, what I always say is one of the biggest advantages of small business is the ability to pivot. And that we have that over corporate. Corporate can take three years to do something, and that can be done 10 times over in a smaller, more nimble organization. So if you're sitting back and have an idea or you know, in a smallish type organization, that's your opportunity. Being small is a, definitely an opportunity when you're uh, innovating. Yeah, I, I think so too. fully agree with that. I think being small gives you that ability to flex and adapt to changing mm-hmm external and internal conditions very easily compared to a corporate which, which in, in which it will be a lot more expensive generally it's a lot more bureaucratic and mm-hmm. the decision making is a, is a, also dependent upon multiple parties agreeing mm-hmm. to it uh, yeah. and, and that all takes time and time is effort and effort is money so yeah definitely so as you throughout the journey of working as a as a contractor over this time, what are some of the, the positives that you found working as a contractor? Obviously, diversity of different challenges and different roles and different organizations. What drew you to that at the time? You mentioned you were somewhat reluctant, but what drew you into that or, that approach of working? So contracting, I, uh, I've been contracting mainly mm-hmm. in project space. And yes. what I mean by project space, you know, it, it's, it has... You know, we, we all understand what projects are, you know, it, it, they, they're, uh, obviously there is a start date and end date and there is mm-hmm. a, a particular amount of time in which the project runs and there is a definite objective uh, that needs to be achieved. And once that objective is achieved, we shut the project down and then everybody moves on. So I started working in that sort of setting and my mindset was very much, okay, what is the objective that we need to achieve in next I don't know, 6, 12, 18 months? And then once we achieve that objective, you're satisfied in terms of what you have achieved. And then you look for the next challenge. So that was a, a, a mindset change for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, you know, after I entered into contracting, I started to appreciate that sort of thinking a lot more because I could see that I was delivering value across different organizations in short bursts. And then I had an option to choose a, a different challenge in a different organization as soon as the current one finishes. So that's one of the key positives. So apart from, you know, your exposure and experience across multiple organizations, you have options, you know, that generally working as a permanent employee in a particular organization, you may not necessarily get. Now, so going back to your question, what are some of the positives of contracting? Definitely exposure and being being able to connect with a multitude of stakeholders across different organizations is an asset for a period of time. And, you know, uh, if you imagine spending about 10, 15 years working across 15 different organizations, the networks that you develop are huge and uh, you can utilize those networks for various things that you may choose to do. And I, I see that as a positive. So for me, I connected with so many different people across so many different organizations and I'm connected with them now. And, uh, you know, and it is a very small world and you bump into, bump into them all the time. So. Definitely. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and networks are so yeah. important, yeah. especially for our, our future success and how we, future opportunities, having network and the ability to access network and resources and run ideas past different people is is important for everybody so i think that's a massive advantage that yeah. yes i didn't even think about when it comes to contracting but yeah building a network yeah. of different people and capability would make a lot of sense yeah absolutely mm. 
And then from the other side of it, so what are some of the challenges of being a contractor and how do you handle those challenges in over those years? What have you done? I have been fortunate to some degree, I must say. Okay. Um, so, I mean, why I say I've been fortunate is that, you know, I've been contracting, if I take my first three years off where I've worked mm-hmm. as a permanent employee, I've been contracting for the remaining time. Uh, it's nearly about 14 years. I've not had one day without a contract in my entire history. Oh, wow. You must be doing something decent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so um, <laughs> so I, uh, I did, uh, you know, I, I did reflect uh-huh. in terms of, you know, what went right for me. And I collected some thoughts. I also yes. spent some time uh, with some of the other people who were, uh-huh. uh, who were also in a similar boat as me. And, you know, I think I, I kind of ended up with about 10 different things that, you know, potentially you could do to increase the success of uh, being okay. a contractor. What are, what are these 10 different things? Because I think it'd be interesting for people listening that want to go down this path and then we'll talk into what you've done with the platform itself. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me uh, talk about that in a yeah. minute. Uh, so... I think contracting, going down the path of contracting, requires you to be absolutely confident. Confident about yourself, confident that you're able to do the job, you know, whatever the job may be, maybe yes. you know, working as a business analyst or a test analyst, project manager, mm-hmm. program manager. I kind of see even see being a CEO is a contract gig, to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. you, you generally tend to be a CEO for a few years and, you know, yes. probably three, five years and then uh, you move on. So. Sure. Confidence in self is it's an absolute must. And I think uh, taking accountability for your own actions and for your own doings, it is not a permanent job. So the mindset that the employer has when they hire a particular contractor is because they hire them to start and hit the ground running as soon as they're on board. Whereas if you're a permanent employee, you generally get some confidence built mm-hmm. into you. You've been trained to do certain things certain way. And even if you didn't do things very well, they generally are accepting of those things and they okay. train you to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. as a contractor, I think uh, you may not necessarily have that, that advantage. Uh, they mm-hmm. expect you to come and they expect you to perform. Mm-hmm. So I tend to say that when you're a contractor, you're, you're essentially running a business. So you have to start acting like one. And you must, uh, I think, that uh, you should act like a corporation, a corporation yes. of, of, of one of man, one. two men, yes. whatever they may be, right? It sounds like it because you're selling yeah. yourself into a contract. You're, yes. you're delivering an outcome, and then you have to sell yourself the next outcome. And I think it does sound like you're yeah. running a business of one or whatever it may be, yes. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we see large consulting companies that are doing yes. and and this is no different. So mm-hmm. you're selling your capability yes. and your ability to deliver something within a particular period of time. So mm-hmm. uh, you and, and you need to be, you need to act like one. So I think that you should act like a corporation. You need to have unparalleled focus on your personal growth and profitability. Yes. And profitability is important because for you, you know, you may have a contract now. In six mm-hmm. months' time, you finish the job you may or may not have one right away yeah that's right, right? yeah could so be you have should... something for a period of time so you need to that's be profitable right. not just yeah. to make an income right mm-hmm. now I, I attached early on saying that you know it is a small market and uh, it is uh, so the brand that you you that you are your own brand and uh-huh. you have to build that and you have to build that with purpose and a vision mm-hmm. so when people talk about you they know what they're talking about or mm-hmm. at least People who know you know what you're all about. So, yes. and you've got to build a positive brand and associate your, you know, your name 
to that brand. So again, going back to thinking about it as a corporation and what you bring, what values you hold high and what your morals are or what your ethics are, both from work perspective, as well as personal, you know, your own personal uh, motives in terms of what you want to achieve. I think branding is very, very important and the, you have to continue to brand yourself and people will remember you and they'll remember mm-hmm. you for 10, you know, five, 10 years. So that's another aspect. And then Obviously, running any business, there's going to be ups and downs, so you can't lose confidence when there are some downs, so especially if there is a downtime between a contract to contract. You just say, okay, that's how the business is run, and you should prepare for it. So, you know, if you are going to be deeply disappointed when there is down, then perhaps contracting is not necessarily... Not for you. Not mm-hmm. for you, you know. mm-hmm. So It's not going to be a complete yes. sequential job to job to job. Yes. yes it, it, well, that's what we hope to, but yeah. sometimes it may not be the case. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And so, and you have to just accept it. When you accept it, it's a lot easier to deal with it. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and then unless you want to run with a model of that's the higher remuneration for your contract period covers off yeah. two uh, lots effectively, and you can have a holiday yes, in between if you want to, depending how you want to approach yeah, it. How do you want to approach the, the model, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Uh, and a lot of people do that. They only do contract for short period of time. They take a break yeah. and come back and do other things. Yes. So again, that's you know one of the advantages of being mm-hmm. a contractor. So, and you know this probably is very very important. We touched on this as well, which is you have to relentlessly build networks. And I can assure you, but that my last six contracts have been through networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not because, for a job site, I would imagine. <laughs> no. Yes. So I think networks run deeper and it's a lot faster yes. rather than going and applying for a job. And uh, especially when you start proving yourself in a, in an industry and people recognize it. And if you're doing a good job, they generally want you back. Of course. Uh, there, there's no reason why they want to replace you uh, if you're doing If, if you're tried and tested like anything, uh, <laughs> it's much easier to bring you into a new another project that's happening in 12 months' time. It makes yeah. sense, right? That's right. And the, the other, the, I think we're up to seven things, which is the you obviously have to be good at what you do. Yes. Right? You have to be better than average. You can't think like, you know, mm-hmm. well, I'll, I'll give it, uh, you know, I'll do what I think is best, but you know, you really have to be good at what you have to offer and people need to see it and you need to show that to them when, when you do get that opportunity. And that will, you know, that, that will go a long way because that also ends up being your reference for the next contract. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, that's very true. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's how you take control of your own growth. And uh, yeah, and then uh, you just don't expect other people to come and tell you you need to do these things for you to go further you start thinking for yourself in terms of okay what is that i can do to go further it's a very proactive uh, role so you're yeah. you're a business owner you're not yeah, just right. an employee you have to no. take that hat off and move that's on. right yeah yes. get it yeah so then obviously you know manage all the stakeholders across different organizations stay in touch with them be authentic in your relationships you know i i I may have left some organizations five, six years ago, mm-hmm. but people that I've worked with there, uh, some people are still there, um, and I'm connected to them. When an opportunity arises, I do say hello to them. I do talk to them. It is predominantly being in the know uh, yes. and you know, and keeping those relationships open. Because mm-hmm. as I said, you know, networks help you achieve, get your next opportunity mm-hmm. very easily. And keeping the network active is an important part of it. You've got to be very organized. So you're a one man who's trying to do everything. Yes. So it requires you, mm-hmm. um, you know, organizational skills to be really mm-hmm. up to scratch. And then when you achieve success, you celebrate and go for the next one. 
they're, they're my 10 things, I think. Yeah, very good. I think there's some really good yeah. learning in there, people yeah. that want to go down this yeah. path, but there's good learning yeah. for anybody that wants to yeah. move forward in any role, any responsibility, whatever yeah. it might be, because they're good principles for anybody yeah. to move forward and grow with. So I think that you can tell the type of personality that you are based off that yeah. and the learning you've had yeah. over the years. And obviously, yeah. why we're talking today is is next contract and next mm. contracts obviously come about because you've mm. been working in the space for a long time and now this is we're talking directly to a domain expert in the contract space so you know it well you know how it works you work understand the ins and outs applying for roles what the challenges might be and talking to anyone out there listening if you're now raf is obviously more of a technical guy but he has proposed applied the same principles. It's about knowing and understanding and finding problems within the space that you can actually solve. So, Raf, what are some of the challenges with applying for jobs and getting new roles that you've found? And what are some of the redundancies that you're trying to take out with Next Contract? So, when I reflected uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what helped me be yes. successful, you know, they're the 10 things that I came up with. Mm. And then I started to think about, okay, how can I implement these 10 things into some sort of a platform and make it available to anybody who wants to go down this path, right? Mm-hmm. So that uh, came to my mind and I said, okay, let me think about how can I help people get their next contracts? And uh, sorry, let me take a, uh, uh, take another step of this. So the, the 10 things that I've talked about, I, I wanted to convert them into a platform so that anybody can access these 10 things and make it really easy for anybody to achieve or, or to go about doing these 10 things. So that's how I built Next Contract Platform. It is built predominantly for a contractor or a professional contractor who, who enjoys the freedom of going between the organizations for short periods of time and who enjoys being rewarded for the effort that they put in in a particular organization, generally a bit more than, more than a permanent employee. So I uh, Next Contract, if you, if you think, so it was was built predominantly for the professional contractors by applying these ten principles. So some of the I, I do want to talk to you about mm-hmm. how it helps them. The first thing, when in my own experience, when I went to apply for jobs, mm-hmm. you know, I go to your, your standard known platforms. You apply for a job, and sometimes you get a response. If you're lucky, sometimes you don't, and you never hear from you know, either the recruiter or employer, you know, it's a, you apply and it's gone. So yes. <laughs> this is <laughs> the ether. <laughs> yes. uh, and yeah. you can talk to anybody and they'll tell you, right? They'll uh-huh. tell you, oh, I applied for a hundred jobs, you know, and <laughs> some, in some cases that I've yeah. got, uh, I've got a response back. And in some uh-huh. cases, uh, it's just disappeared in the ether. So we, we said, okay, you know, I, I don't think it should be the case. You know, we, it should be, uh, you know, when you apply for a job, there is a lot of effort that you put into it. So I think you do, you do expect a response back mm-hmm. from whoever you send the application to. So in next contract, you can basically see all the applications that you have made okay. uh, and you can uh, see in real time the status mm-hmm. of where your application is. So that's you know, one of the things that we've done. Now, as a contractor, there's some things that you do which you generally don't do if you're a permanent employee mm-hmm. that often. For example, when I move, you know, as a typical contractor, you move anywhere between 12 to 18 months between organizations. So, and sometimes it can be even shorter. So every six months, you sometimes end up moving. 
I've, I've seen some people look at this as a negative thing because, you know, there are traditional mindset where people think that uh, if you're moving between organizations every 12 months, it's a bad thing. But I, I don't I don't believe so. I think if the project was only going for 12 months, mm-hmm. someone has been placed in that project for 12 months and then yes. they finish the job. And then now it's time to move on. If they find the opportunity within the organization, that's fine. If they don't, that's okay. You know, you, you should be able to move to another organization. So there is uh, there are two schools of thoughts of, about that in the, in the industry. But for in, in my perspective, you know, it's okay to move between the organizations. And if you finish the project and if you've done your work and... And you, you can prove that through through assurance from somebody you you either reported into or you worked with, then that's okay. That just gave me a big picture of your resume, Raf. I imagine yeah. there's like 30, 30 organi- or 20 organizations <laughs> sitting on <laughs> a ridiculous amount of roles. Yeah. I get why yeah. people might be concerned about that. But if you yeah. stay, if you're applying for it, you're not applying for a job technically, you're applying for a contract. So it's a That's little right. bit, it's very different yeah. and it's a different mindset. It, so you're applying for an outcome, like to deliver an outcome. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, you would act similar to what we do in our business, yeah. which is a contract in a, to deliver a project or a development project yeah. and the outcome is delivered and then the contract's paid through that process. Now, that's generally what you're doing just at an individual level in a, in a right. part of the project. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Get you, yeah, absolutely right. So, mm-hmm. so, so we made it easy on uh, Next Contract. And we, uh, yes. so I wanted to create Next Contract platform primarily uh-huh to bring about that focus for contractors. There okay. are other platforms where, you know, mm-hmm. there's plenty of jobs that are advertised and people go there yeah. and apply. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of them uh, find the jobs and they move on. But mm-hmm. next contract platform, as you can see, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about contracting is different. Mm-hmm. It's not yes. the same as your permanent employment, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing I talked about um, mm-hmm. on the platform is as we jump around between the organizations, uh, maybe I shouldn't use the word jump around, uh, as we move around between <laughs> the organization, uh, <laughs> Hope from uh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you know we there, there are a number of things that you have to do, such as you know uh, you have to do the police checks, you have to do reference checks, you have to uh-huh. do immigration checks where appropriate. Sometimes you have to do you know baseline security checks, and mm-hmm. sometimes you have to do working with children checks, and uh, you have to do these things all the time. Okay. Uh, so if you imagine a permanent employee who's been in an organization, they probably do it once, yes. right? And they probably end up being there for five, 10 years. And then mm-hmm. if they do move at, in, at five-year mark or a 10-year mark, they have to do it again. So it's not a big deal. Whereas for a professional contractor who moves uh, between organizations anywhere from six months to 18 months, they have to do this again and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's so, a repetitive process, basically. It's a yeah. repetitive process. So it's important that, uh, you know, uh, the, I mean, I have done them. And over the years, I've done them so many times. I've never actually, you know, seen what they are. I fill up the whole bunch of data on some platform that employer asked me to do. I fill it up and employer gets that information. I don't get them. I don't know what's what, what it, you know what's what it is, <laughs> right? And and then I get an outcome. They say, okay, you can start on this day. We've done all the checks. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you've done all the checks? I want to know what check, what those <laughs> outcomes are, right? <laughs> so uh, I think that if you're going to talk about me, 
uh, you know, of any individual. Mm -hmm. The individual is, you know, by definition has the right to see what that information is. You would imagine, Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we created that platform where, you know, you can do all all these shakes. And when you do these shakes, we've automated such that the employer gets them, but also the professional contractor always has access to their documents. Okay, yes, solving that problem. So basically you don't have to repeat potentially because you could hand them forward to the next contract, get that. Right. Makes sense. Uh, the the organizing um, is another key aspect. Yes. Now, if you think about contracting, and even if you think about dev ready as a business, yes, right, yes. you generally have your your PI insurances, your PI uh-huh. insurances. You have your vert cover uh, mm-hmm. currency certificates. All of these apply to individual contractors as well. And you know all these documents. Uh, and I very early on in my career. I could never find these documents in one place. And every time I needed, I say, "Oh God, I, you know, I got to look for uh, these things uh, in different places." And uh, it used to take me a couple of days to organize everything. So we made it easy on the platform. You you one, one of your tips, Raf, was you have yeah. to be very organized. Very really organized. Yes. He <laughs> learned from that. <laughs> yes. So, Putting the platform one place. Very yeah. clever. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So, and we've uh, not only just put, put them there, it's, it's really, really easy for them to share share this information uh, mm-hmm. with others. Yeah, very um, good. So, there's obviously a bit in this platform around helping, yeah. sharing, applying for jobs, yeah. keeping information in one place. Yeah. This conversation I find very interesting because yeah. when we have this conversation, you're obviously a technical person to some yeah. capacity, project management, etc. You get into detail. Now, just people are listening out there that are non-technical, this is all the detail that needs to go into an application when you're thinking about it. So at a high level, yes, RAF's trying to deliver an outcome to make the life easier for a contractor to get to get their next contract, but there's all the little details that come into this. So RAF, when you go about designing or thinking about a platform, just not even next contract, about thinking about a platform, what what are the steps that you take in place to dig in and get an understanding of what the user really needs? Uh, it's a it's a very interesting question. I can I'm happy to talk about how uh, I generally think about this. Mm. I don't know who said this, but somebody uh, I was working with somebody, and they mentioned that we spent three years in planning and one day, one year in building. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a lot of planning goes up front. You know, I, I would say that I think if you if you're building a major platform. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about the finances, especially if you're an individual investor, et cetera. Let's put yes. that aside. I think there's many, many podcasts out there which talk about how you can go about that. Uh, but just in terms of the platform itself, a, a lot of planning goes in. And from my experience going through about next contract is spending a lot of time with the users upfront mm-hmm. is, I think, has, is mandatory, to be honest. Speak to as many users as possible. You know, you you based on your experiences, you may have a particular hypothesis to all of these experiences that you're going to provide to users. Hypothesis. But, that's yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. It's it's yeah. it's what you imagine might work, and you need to test that, and not with a platform <laughs> generally. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's where people get a little bit lost. I think. Mm. That's right. Yeah. I think I think the 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 bigger the sample is better, mm-hmm. but again, you don't have to go overboard. So you, you you make a determination in terms of what the sample size should be. Shouldn't be doesn't have to be too small, doesn't have to be too big, but as long as you get multitude of views in terms of uh, in terms you know that you can incorporate into your designs, yes. I think that is probably the right 
thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, th- but when I started thinking about platform, I came out with something like uh, I don't know, like two hundred features uh, that I wanted to put into the platform. Yes. Right, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I think at the end we ended up probably about. 25 to 30. 25 to 30. Explain a drop. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. Uh, I think, you know, when you're, when you're doing a brainstorm, you come up with a whole bunch of crazy things that, uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and, and
can see when you know the status of the application anytime they can refer those jobs and uh, for their referrals we reward them they can track those rewards you know they can store all their documents and share mm -hmm. the documents with the employees on need basis they can complete their reference checks online and all of this on one platform it's all integrated okay. to mm -hmm. the employer so there's so, a chunk of development well, still within that within that yeah. mvp because it is i think right. aiming to complete from end to end yes yeah, so if right. you frame mvp as minimum value product mm -hmm. What's the minimum thing you can deliver that will give value to the users, That's not right. the minimum viable? Mm -hmm. mm. Anything viable can be a bit challenging, like viable mm. to your pockets. <laughs> for example, mm. if I've got a 50K budget, it might yeah. be viable for me to build something for 50K, but is that mm. valuable to our users? So mm. I think yeah, the minimum, minimum valuable product makes more sense mm. to me too. That phrase yeah. is a better one, because yeah. at least then you're focusing on the outcome yes. like you're doing to yeah. provide an end-to-end -end solution mm. to both customers. Yes. Yeah rather than just getting something to the market that will get one side on board, no, which yes, would be viable right. enough to get you some placement, yeah. but not really deliver the value that you need. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have to agree with that. Yeah, so I think it is, you know, I've always looked at it as minimum viable, but in my in my mind, viable, I suppose the way I was defining is something that is actually is able to provide a function end to end. If it doesn't, yes. then it is uh, uh -huh. it's neither of value nor viable. Yeah, it it can no, take we, two we meanings. Come up with the value yeah, yeah, I think it found that. But yeah, most people say viable as yeah. the MVP when they mean that. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. it's good to reframe good. it the other way because then yeah. you have the right focus. Right. I've also heard minimum lovable products <laughs> along my journey, <laughs> and that's an interesting way to think about it too. So it then puts it in the minds of what's the user going to love using, and it's a very different way to think about it too. So yeah, there's, there's a bit of different ways to just yeah, rethink yeah. and reframe the way a minimum viable is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so, so in terms of building a tech product, how did you approach it? What did you do? What were, did you have some challenges along the way, or did you pretty much get it right from the get go? I mean, I've uh, you know I've been managing. Yes. I mean, obviously working as a contractor, I've been a yes. project manager, program uh -huh. manager, managing programs and projects which are quite large yes. uh, in, in 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 essence. So I was lucky to have had exposure in in terms of how I have to plan. And go about building this, mm -hmm. and I suppose I, you know, I had some insight into some of the pitfalls that I need to watch for mm -hmm. as I go through this development. So uh, I, the one of the key challenges is, you know, the building the product and accessing the right set of organizations who can help you build the product yes. is a key consideration. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're an individual investor mm -hmm. who's building a platform, yes. obviously cost is 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 the single most biggest factor that you need to consider before you can go down the journey. Um, so I did some high-level estimates in terms of you know how much something like this is going to cost. Uh -huh. I, I received or I reached out to a number of organizations to ask for quotes, and I shared my ideas with them. Mm -hmm. One of the classic organization, <laughs> I reached out to another startup who's actually helping build platforms like this to mm -hmm. local organizations. And I, I found... I found it was interesting when I reached out and asked him, you know, can you, I'm trying to build something like this. This is my idea. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much it will cost to build a platform like this? And uh, they came back and said, well, I think it's best that you speak to other organizations to determine how much something like this is going to cost. And if you think that you're funded, then we're happy to consider <laughs> to take it further. That's an um, interesting so, <laughs> response. Yeah, okay. Then. I know. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, so, I'm, uh, I'm interested in working with you. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, <laughs> well, uh, that did, uh-huh. you know, it, it, it did end up uh, staying uh-huh. in my mind. I thought, why would you say that? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird way to respond. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, I did my research, I reached uh-huh. out, and we've got to think global these days. We can't just think local. So I reached out to companies offshore as well uh-huh. to get some quotes. I interviewed uh, about four different organizations to determine the right team that can work with me. Now, let's answer that question. What mm-hmm. what process did you go through there? Because you've obviously got the expertise to potentially do this. Yeah, yeah. So what process did you go to, through to interview and question yeah. potential businesses yeah. that you could engage with? I suppose that, um, you know, if you engage an organization, we, I mean, in my professional side of things, mm-hmm. I engage organizations, uh, generally the large ones, and we hold them to... I mean, we engage them for various things and uh-huh. we kind of go through uh, a, a evaluation process that will tease out the outcomes that, that we can achieve at, in the most efficient manner at the lowest cost. Mm-hmm. And we, we ask questions around the methodology, the processes that they use and any uh, case studies that they can provide uh, yes. to prove uh, that they've done that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I've very much so utilize the same set of same set of thinking mm-hmm. in a smaller scale with the smaller organizations to determine if they've done something like this and you know there were some of the key things that were very important to me uh, on you know the obviously the design uh, side of things the way of working ability to respond and respond quickly mm-hmm. and to uh, show urgency to take to market uh, they were the key things that uh, you know that were important to me when I started off with the platform, and they were the questions that I I came up with and queried the vendors, and obviously cost was also another uh, key factor to to come to a conclusion in terms of who you pick your partner to build with. Yeah, so. Um... Cost is one thing, it's, Ooh, but it's yeah. also finding the right partner. So sometimes you might, right. yeah, they might be yeah. cheaper, but. Uh, based yeah. on your, based on your methodology yeah. and questioning, they That's probably don't yeah. fit the bill. So it's an important thing to just dig through. Yeah. When you went to these organisations, what did you have in place? Uh, I like to ask this question because when people out mm. there are listening, um, sometimes I might just have an idea on the back of a napkin and expect to get some sort of, sort of figures and costs around what this is going to cost to build. So what did you have in place before you started approaching some businesses? I had a um, I, I had. Uh, my vision in my head, mm-hmm. uh, which I had uh, translated that onto a paper. Yes. Um, I had uh, very, uh, I, I suppose I had a uh, pretty good understanding of the problem that I was trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I had a brain dump of things that I wanted to put on this platform. It's okay. just a brain dump, so it yes. was a rough sketch. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, um, what I did do though is that when I engaged these people, I've sent these, uh, you know, I think it ended up being about three or four pages. I sent these four pages to various organizations and I asked them to mm-hmm. uh, spend some time and reflect on it before we meet. Yes. Um, because I wanted them to un- also understand what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, obviously that gives me assurance that when I do meet with them, whether they're the right partners or not. Mm-hmm. I wanted to test that uh, out. Um, so essentially I had five pages of okay. uh, of my idea um, and ability to talk about each of those points mm-hmm. clearly uh, so that 
they can understand uh, from their perspective in terms of what they have to do. Yeah, get it. So you've yeah. actually, yeah, documenting out here's the, the key pivotal Definitely. things that the system mm-hmm. needs. Um, yeah. Now, in terms of methodology, you, know, you mentioned obviously mm-hmm. design's important. What approach did you was important to you when you walk into a business? Was it all right? Let's design this thing up front. What did you think through? Obviously, that if that was important to you. Um, so with the design, so once the concept was understood yes. by the selected partner, uh-huh. um, we went through uh, kind of uh, you know uh, undertaking a number of process flows, process mm-hmm. flows for all the different types of. Um, use cases uh, that exist on the platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, once we were satisfied uh, with those process flows, we kind of did a bit of paper sketching um, and uh, and I validated those paper sketches with some of the potential users here. Nice. Um, so you're validating and, uh, early. That's a good tip for anyone yeah. out there that's listening. Validate with paper sketch. Like it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's we were, a good strategy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the guys, uh, you know, I uh, was sending me uh, just, you know, drawing stuff on the papers, uh-huh. you know, taking a picture on WhatsApp nice. and sending it to me on WhatsApp. And I forwarded to a couple of people, or, you know, a few people that will potentially use it. Uh-huh. And uh, it was an interesting exercise. And, and the feedback loop doesn't have to be formal. No, not you know, in that case. People, That's all right. Yeah, yeah, and people just tell you, ah, oh, you know, what about this? You know, well, you know, this, I, I, I particularly don't like this. Or whatever. You know, people are generally open mm-hmm. and honest. When you know, so, so you get your. Uh, so I spent some time doing that, and then we designed a, a you know, based on the input that we had, we extrapolated the, uh, you know, the same methodology to have few few aspects of the design that we could uh, mm-hmm. we could consider taking it forward and and again we went through the same process of checking in with the users there was a a, a full-blown mv prototype that was built yes which a, a clickable prototype that was built for all the functions that uh, the platform has to perform and it was tested heavily with uh, you know, a whole bunch of users brilliant uh, are the the process that you followed obviously you've been doing yeah. this for a while so you know what process yeah. to follow yeah. and this is why I wanted to share your story. Yeah. Uh, you are a technical guy, but you didn't develop this thing. You took it off. You found yeah. a business to build it for you, and you went through the process. But you went through a process that you know that's true, tried and tested. And we want to share what that was, and yeah, from the perspective of yes, the design, the working with users, prototyping. You've gone through all the things that get you to a, a decent quality outcome. So then when you get to build, what happened? Did you have much trouble during build or were you mostly there during the build process? Well, look, I mean, I'll, yeah. if, if you do your prototypes, yeah. right, and if you solve your problems at the time of prototyping, mm-hmm. I think the build work is so much easier. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding, the build work has its own set of challenges does, around, yes. the functional, mm-hmm. around the you know functionality to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. But... The good thing is you already know the solution if, if there is a problem. Mm-hmm. So as a, thinking about this as a as a person who's trying to build a platform and building a platform requires a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. uh, from various capabilities. And in in my particular case, I had two hats. You know, I had uh, I had a I had a, a a job that I had to do as well as build this on the weekends <laughs> <laughs> and and overnight. Yes. So uh, that was. <laughs> It would have been much harder if you tried to build it yourself. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But project managing it hands-on, you were, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. so it is uh, hands-on, and yeah, so it, it was a lot easier because we had done prototypes early on. Yeah, and definitely. it was it, uh, the the number of things that prototype did is it educated 
the team that was going to build. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about the team that is going to build, you know, a designer doesn't necessarily think about like a developer. And same goes vice versa, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're all looking at this problem with a different angle. So uh, building together a a whole platform as a clickable prototype, which helped educate the team rapidly as well, saying Mm -hmm. that, okay, they everybody understood okay what is that we're trying to do here and it uh, it that was that ended up becoming their source of truth as they went about going you know doing whatever they had to do on the project yes so that was one good thing and the second thing is obviously validation with the users themselves you know, and getting feedback and refining that early on mm-hmm. so if these two things are done i think the build work is a lot easier because mm-hmm. you're more focused on the functionality side of things is, is it working as yeah, the, how to deliver it yeah exactly That's and right. you know yeah. yeah. and you have less concerns about putting it out there an mvp and people saying what the hell is this thing yeah. especially if you've That's been right. querying it with your prospective mm-hmm. users because that feedback has already happened mm-hmm. i think People listening, just think about when you're designing a product that you rather test it early as humanly possible. Like anyone that designs, even if it's a hardware product, they have steps in the process where they have different levels of manufacturing and testing and prototyping. Software is no different. Um, We need that feedback loop along the journey, not just at the end of it. So we've seen True. so many stories where people just get to the end and deliver a product and say, here, 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 customer, have a look at this. And the customer says, what the hell is this thing? Uh, <laughs> and that's not a place you want to be in. So that slow process will actually speed up and ensure you've got quality product at the end of it and less stress along the way too because it keeps it in a nice tight box as to, all right, here's a stepped incremental process and you don't go and build something unless the prototype's ready or the feedback from the, the, um, the users is, is to par and what you expect. It's also like you said, Raph, earlier, you want to have those problems solved mm. in prototyping okay. or early on rather than as they come up during yes. your development. Yes. Yeah. Now, would you say the process that you followed, could that be done by someone non-technical? Um, uh, I think that, you know, testing yes. your idea mm-hmm. is not necessarily a technical thing. Correct. Test, so essentially what we're doing is we're testing our ideas. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, we're testing yes. the, you know, the, the, the business idea itself. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we're testing the design itself that we're going to create to, to achieve an outcome. So I don't think it, has to, it requires technical, but I would say that it's, it's probably worthwhile that, you, you know, if you're considering doing something like this, spend some time with someone who's done this a few times. Mm-hmm. They can definitely lend hand in terms of, you know, utilizing the right tools that, that makes that make it so easy to test your ideas and that can quickly, that can rapidly be prototyped. You know, rapid prototyping, I think, is probably the good thing because it just gives you that extra opportunity to test various things quickly and come to certain conclusions based on those results. I think if you definitely, I I recommend people working with someone who has done this before, it definitely helps. But does it have to be that way? I don't think so. If you have time on your side, Mm -hmm. you can do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you have to be open. And uh, it comes down to how well, mm. you, you become a manager within the project, right. so you, you need to yeah. be organized, you need to understand mm. it, and you don't want, need to want to dig into detail. That's something I would yeah. advise. Um, if you're not a very detailed, orientated person, managing a software project can be very challenging because yeah. <laughs> it is all yeah. devil in the detail in this space. Yeah. Yeah. So just something yeah. to think about from my perspective from the outside looking in. Yes. Yeah. So, Raf, there's, there's three parts to a to a tech venture that we, we're ba- you're basically on the journey of. There's the mm-hmm. idea that you flesh out and you evolve. 
there's the technology that brings the idea to life, but then there's the business mm-hmm. side. There's the business model. There's the the marketing, the sales, everything on that angle. How are you approaching that side of next of yeah. next contract? And what are you thinking about there? Do you have partners in the space, or are you evolving it through network? What's your approach to doing that? There's a range of things that we are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are very actively working with a number of employers yes. to try and bring them onto the platform. Uh-huh. You know, we've managed to bring some of them mm-hmm. so far, but we are actively working and promoting as to why they can use this. For employees, I mean, most of this podcast, I've spoken about contractors because the focus of this has been contractors. Yes. But really, the flip side of the same point mm-hmm. is really the employees. So yes. all the processes that the employer needs from the contractor perspective are all already built in. Mm-hmm. And one of the significant things for the employees is a repetitive nature of contracting, which I've not seen it built in any other platform so far. So the repetitive nature, what I mean by that is, like personally, myself, I work for the same organizations at different points in time uh, on different projects in the last 10 years. The organization wants me to come back and do more work when they have more work. They would rather have me because I already know the organization and know the projects versus bringing in somebody brand new. So there is always opportunity for repetitive contracting in the same organization. So again, these features are built in onto the next contract for employees to take advantage of. So we are promoting, actively promoting all these things that we have done for employees, with mm-hmm. employees uh, and, and through cold calling and, and uh, doing various demos. Yes. Within the contract is, you know, uh, we are promoting ourselves through a range of marketing, the social networking sites. Uh-huh. We, we're working with the digital marketing organization who is helping me achieve, you know, uh, ability to reach various markets within Australia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're also using, you know, the known networks to help promote the platform. But this is a, a typical cash 22, and I think anybody who's going to try and uh, promote a product, which is a marketplace, it is going to be cash 22 because you need both sides of the coin. Mm. So it, it's a bit tricky, but again, it's it's something that's been done many times. And we are, we are also going through a, a similar phase where we're trying to build a, 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 a set of professional contractors as well as a whole bunch of organizations you know, and then create that marketplace. So both of those need to evolve for this to become successful aspect. That is, so, that is always know, the challenge in the marketplace, but the reward is yeah, so yeah. great if you get it right. So the marketplaces are brilliant if you can get the mass yeah. using them. That's right. If you can't get yeah. one side or the other, they're made redundant. Yeah. So they are challenging. Uh, so anyway, yeah. think about marketplace. There are two sides definitely that you need to market to, two different problems you're solving two completely different objectives, stakeholders. So it is a very challenging place to be in, but also could be rewarding if you get it right. That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. The chicken and egg problem that everyone already Yeah, definitely. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So, so Raf, just to, to summarize where we're, we're at, if you were to talk to anyone that's got an idea or a concept and was going on the journey that you've been on, to build next contracts, what are three tips you would give them as to where to start and what to do now? For somebody who's got an idea, and you know, the the, the first thing I would say that validate that idea, to validate to a sufficient degree that you're assured by yourself as well as the feedback that is coming from the from the potential users of that idea that it is an idea that's going to work. So I would say that's number one. Now I think the second aspect is to think about from my from my experience is really the the partners that you're going to select to work with, and that plays a significant part 
in any project as things progress right at the beginning they're really you know it's, uh, it's it's all green and it's all everybody is pumped but as you go through the project you know once you cross your 50 percent then you start to see real set of challenges and the behaviors and attitudes are very very important at that point in time and so selecting the right partner who can go the distance with you is a, is another important aspect unless you're hiring your own team which is a different story yeah, that's, a, that's and, an interesting one, hiring yeah. your own team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and the, and the, and the last uh, thing is, uh, obviously, if you are, a, you know, a, an investor who's building a new platform, you probably should need to have a very clear idea of how you're going to take it to the market before you, you know, before you complete the platform itself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's a critical thing to have be clear on how you can get it to the market, how That's you can right. get it in front of people, That's right. some, yeah. how you can monetize it. Oh, some great tips there because, yeah, it's not just about the idea of the business yeah. and how you're going to deliver yeah. it. I think it can encapsulate it, all three of those in, in your three yeah. tips. So I think it's yeah. some really good value there. Raf, thanks for joining us on the Dev Ready Podcast. Really appreciated the chat, diving into what Next Contract is, but also your background, your history, and how you've actually built a product and how you went about the journey of building your own platform. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. And if anyone wants to check out Next Contracts, they can jump on nextcontract.com.au. And Raf, if anyone wants to contact you, how might they get in contact with yourself? Well, I, I think the best place is LinkedIn. You know, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or you can also send me an email. It's raf.kaluri at gmail.com. Perfect. And we'll drop, obviously, the post in LinkedIn as we promote it out. So we'll definitely share it out there. Thanks again, Raf. Really appreciate yeah. your time. No worries. Thank you so much, Andrew Thanks, and Anthony. Uh, and uh, I think the work that you guys are doing with all the startups is just amazing. This is definitely a good platform for, uh, you know, startups like myself and others out there to to actually come here and talk about the product and you know and then you know what you're doing around promoting uh, various products i think it's fantastic oh thanks Raf. appreciate Thank the feedback hopefully we can help some other startups and yeah. they can learn some tips from yourself and yeah. approach things the right yeah, way definitely yeah. that's the outcome we're trying to drive here it's just getting people to a point where they deliver a product first time around yeah. that's that's the objective yeah. for us <laughs> Yeah, yep. It's uh, definitely a challenging it one. It is, I must say. definitely. <laughs> we solve that problem. I think we're, we're on the right path here. Thanks, yeah. Raf. Cheers, yeah. mate. No worries. Thanks, thanks guys. Bye. Bye.